behold, the dark clouds melt away, that gathered thick at night, and hung so like a gloomy pall above the earth. Before thy magic touch, the world awakes, the birds in chorus sing, the flowers raise their star-like crowns, do set, and wave thee welcome fair. The lakes are opening wide in love, the hundred thousand lotus eyes to welcome thee with all their depth. All hail to thee, thou Lord of light, a welcome new to thee today, O sun, today thou sheddest liberty. Bethink thee how the world did wait and search for thee through time incline. Some gave up home and love of friends and went in quest of thee, self-banished, through dreary oceans, through primeval forests, each step a struggle for their life or death. Then came the day when work bore fruit and worship, love, and sacrifice, fulfilled, accepted, and complete. Then thou, propitious, rose to shed the light of freedom on mankind. Move on, O Lord, in thy resistless path, to thy high noon o'erspread the world, till every land reflects thy light, till men and women with uplifted head behold their shackles broken, and know, in springing joy, their life renewed. To the Fourth of July by Swami Vivekananda. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Composition Podcast, episode 18. Happy 4th of July to you. Happy Independence Day, however you want to slice it. Happy 4th, um, yeah, episode 18. We're getting there, going through the year. Um, we're in the second half of the year, finally. Hope you're doing well. If you hear any, back, uh, any fireworks in the background, excuse me. There's really nothing I can do to control that. Um, and if you are listening on the 4th of July today, I hope you're enjoying your day, eating well, driving safe, staying safe, drinking safe, all of the above. Um, yeah, again, the opening poem there comes from Swami Vivekananda. He was an Indian Hindu monk, philosopher, and author. Um, in 1893, he introduced Hinduism at the Parliament of the World's Religions in Chicago, which... From that point moving forward, pretty much introduced introduced Hinduism to the rest of the world and made it a world-renowned religion. He's pretty much single-handedly credited with that. He also created the Ramakrishna Math and the Ramakrishna Mission, two very important organizations in India with uh, spreading charitable works and training young monks to... Uh, to uh, lead the, the faith. And I think it's people like Swami that give so much of themselves and live their life with so much purpose that they almost transcend humanity spiritually. He was able to create these organizations that still stand right today. Here we are over a hundred years later and the Ramakrishna Math and the Ramakrishna Mission, both organizations that he created and still right today follow his uh, guidelines, follow what he was able to create 
this poem here, he uh, wrote the poem on July 4th, 1898, for the anniversary of the United States of America's independence. And ironically enough, he died on uh, July 4th, 1902. I just thought that was a really ironic fun fact. But something that I thought was even more ironic is in the poem, he says, Then thou, propitious, rose to shed the light of freedom on mankind. To me, that really is uh, indicative of the fact that freedom prosperity, success, it's going to come with help. It's going to come with a handout. It's going to come with reaching out to those that you can and say, I know you're down, but I'm going to lift you up. We're all going to be on the same playing field. To me, those few lines alone just stuck out. It just meant to me that the man with the cards really can determine how everything goes. So... What is it that you have to do as as the person with less, as the one in the shackles, to quote the poem? What do you do to even the playing field or to make sure that your success is possible? Do you have to play the game? Do you have to be the revolutionary? I guess that is all determined on how you choose to live your life. So, happy Independence Day. So, while our poet here is focused on the things that could be accomplished in America, it seems like present-day America, everything that's already accomplished, all the all of the sugar is turning to shit. <laughs> so, in the last three weeks, our Supreme Court has been extremely fucking active. Uh, they just passed three key rulings that sure to either affect your life directly or indirectly with the people you know and love. The first of those rulings being the EPA limits the ability to enforce Miranda rights. So that means if you are a suspect and you aren't told that you have the right to remain silent, that anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law and that you have the right to an attorney, you can no longer sue a police officer for damages under federal civil rights laws even if the evidence was used to fucking convict you in a criminal trial let me keep going the second ruling the supreme court restricts the epa's authority to mandate carbon emissions reductions and restrictions so we're all just going to be dead in 10 years anyway. Nobody fucking cares. And then the third ruling, the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade. And it ends the constitutional right to an abortion. So all in all, America would rather control your person and what you can put in your body rather than the fucking environment, which is really fucking crazy. Um, just the Miranda rights thing. Now, uh, police officers aren't held liable for that very important step to like their job. Like they're already already on a leash for the most part for what police officers can do with black and brown people. But now to not even like be held responsible for the the small thing, you have the right to remain silent. Just those steps. I just think that alone blows my mind. Then to jump from that 
into the EPA pretty much losing any authority that it had to try to combat uh, Climate change is pretty much crazy. So with this second ruling, pretty much if a company comes out with a business practice that's directly affecting the environment, um, they don't have to report it to the EPA anymore. They don't have to answer to the EPA. And pretty much it's open game unless Congress directly wants to come out with something, some type of law to make that company answer for what they're doing then they don't really have to anymore, which is a really risky thing to do with the state of the world. The earth is pretty much crying out right in front of us. Um, it's not hard to see. So for that to be a ruling by the Supreme Court, it's honestly shocking, but it's America, so no, it's not. Um, and then the third ruling, of course, disgusts the entire, the entire world, really. Of course, all of America is, is up in flames about it. Everyone has their own opinion about it. A lot of people in the South, a lot of the super-duper conservative people are low-key kind of fake happy about it, which is super weird. But um, I you really know, tried to put my thought to it, put my best fucking thoughts forward on why this type of law could be passed or, excuse me, why this type of law could be overturned um, and especially why now I've heard certain things certain theories a lot dealing with race and you know Sigmund and Freud and the whole yada 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 and it just doesn't to me it doesn't add up I'd like to have a bigger understanding of uh, that type of like ideology but I really can't put my finger to it if anybody knows anything please let me know so while the rest of the Supreme Court was absolutely wilding out, the one silver lining in, in that is uh, Kentanji Brown Jackson was finally sworn in. She is the newest Supreme Court justice, and of course they had to get all their fuck shit out of the way before they got her in there. But uh, hopefully while she's, in, while she's in there, she's able to do right by the American people and uh, make us all proud. Congratulations again to Kentanji Brown Jackson. Super proud of her for that accomplishment. And because we're talking about America, it's only right that I jump from the Supreme Court into the court that's supreme. That was not as good as I thought it was going to be. Um, But the NBA is fucking up in fire right now. It seems like every few years now. Something happens that throws the league completely upside down. These fucking players have too much fucking power. That's exactly why the Supreme Court is showing their ass now. Kevin Durant has requested a trade merely days or hours, I think, after Kyrie Irving opts into his 37 and however much million player option. And he wants Am I shocked? Absolutely not. Am I surprised? Yeah, a little bit. Um, it's like it came out of nowhere. Of course, the last two years have been fucking miserable. That last season, that was a fucking, that was the biggest, that really has to go down in history as the biggest fucking disappointment ever. You have three of the biggest stars ever, all in their primes, on the same team, at the same time. It, it, it should have been it should have been the one and for the last two years it's been fucking nothing 
uh, that loss to Milwaukee, that upset, then to come back and get absolutely swept. Kyrie Irving missed damn near 70, 75% of the season. James Harden didn't want to be there as soon as he got there. It was miserable. So I'm not shocked that he wanted to leave. Um, But I am fucking intrigued to see where he's going to end up. A lot of the pundits, the sports pundits, a lot of the channels have been talking about him ending up with the Lakers with Kyrie. I just think that would be ultra super disgusting. LeBron, Kyrie, and, and Kevin Durant on the Lakers. My mind just doesn't fathom that for whatever reason. I don't want to see that. I kind of don't want to see Kevin Durant with the Suns either. That's kind of disgusting and ring chasey. But I guess at this point, he really does not care about how that affects his legacy or what his legacy is. Who knows with this guy, man? Who, who, who fucking knows? Love you, though, Kevin Durant. Hometown kid, hometown native. He's not going to come to the Wizards. Um, Bradley Bill really shocked me signing that extension fucking what is it five years 250 million dollars or some shit like that i do not think i would love for him to play out that whole contract and be here and be healthy and hopefully it goes somewhere it's the wizard so whatever but i do not think he's gonna play out that whole contract in washington i love bradley bill and i want him to i want him to play out that whole contract in washington i just don't really see it happening but whatever kevin durant uh, best of luck to you. Shout out to you. Uh, I hope you do get to go wherever you want. Nobody really knows what these people want. It's just all fucking uh, media noise. So who really knows if he wants to go to the Suns or not? I, I honestly would like to see him in Dallas. I don't know why. Him and Luka, it's, it's over. It's out of here. But yeah, whatever. Enough of Kevin Durant. Hopefully he goes somewhere where he can win a championship so it just uh, it it stops all the noise about legacy because this is going to be for the next, for, for the foreseeable future, whenever you mention Kevin Durant's name, Kevin Durant's name with the greats, you're going to hear a lot of, but he this, but he that. So hopefully he's able to continue winning and that'll shut all of that up, right? In terms of Kyrie Irving, I actually would like to see him reunite with uh, LeBron James at the end of LeBron's career to win another ring if possible. That's like just like the ultimate fucking icing on the cake for LeBron for whatever reason. And for Kyrie Irving also, like for him to be the young Padawan to say I want to go out and do my own thing to be the prodigal son and return home and be like I'm, I'm, I'm back. And they do it together on the grandest stage in L.A., that would be something to watch. I'm not going to lie. That would be fucking epic. So before I get into my book of the week, there is one last thing that I thought was pretty cool that I want to mention right quick. Clint Eastwood, the famous actor for the Western movies, the old-ass man that's been old for 60 movies. Don't sue me, Clint, Clint Eastwood. That was a joke. Um, He was awarded $2 million in a lawsuit in which he was able to prove that his trademark was infringed upon. A company called Norak, hold on, let me get their name, make sure it's right. Norak, Norak, Norak Innovation. Uh, they manipulated blog posts to suggest that he was either endorsing or using their products. And he sued. 
and he won $2 million out of it. I thought that was pretty fucking cool. I wish I could do some shit like that. Somebody please make a fake blog about me. Say I use your shit. I'm suing. Uh, this is the second time Clint Eastwood was able to successfully sue. He was awarded $6.1 million and another lawsuit against another company, uh, a Lithuanian company that made a fake interview saying that he was endorsing their products. So he's out here eating off of the fucking fake endorsements. Anytime you use his name, you are fucking up because he's coming to get his. I think that's amazing. And I can't wait to be in a position to do the same thing. I'm coming to get mine. You suckers don't use my name for nothing. Yeah. So my book of the week this week is called The Spook Who Sat by the Door by Sam Greenlee. He was born Samuel Eldridge Greenlee Jr. on July 13, 1930, and he died May 19, 2014 in his hometown of Chicago, Illinois at the age of 83. Like many of the writers I've told you about before, when he originally wrote The Spook Who Sat By The Door, he was turned, turned down by dozens of uh, publishers in America, and he had to go get it published over in London by Allison and Busby. Like I said, that happens to so many black writers that it's 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 just like commonplace now. Uh, the book went on to be chosen by the Sunday Times as the book of the year. And in 1973, it went on to be a film by the same name, The Spook Who Sat By The Door, which is a black cult classic. Definitely go check out that movie. It's uh, directed by Ivan Dixon and co-produced and written by uh, Green Samuel Greenlee himself. So for sure, go check out that movie, please. Uh, I can definitely appreciate that movie looking back on it because it was right before black exploitation. So I'm glad he got in and, and made what he wanted to make before shit just really started to go left with black film. Again, shout out to Sam Greenlee for writing this book. So our main character, Dan Freeman, is a token hire at the CIA after they're being investigated and being prodded by a senator whose uh, upcoming campaign is is pretty much that. He's investigating and prodding at the CIA for not having any black agents. And he's building his uh, campaign run on that. And he uh, starts to garner the black vote, gets reelected, and things work out in his favor. But that uh, token hire just so happens to be Dan Freeman. And Dan Freeman just so happens to live and move with a greater sense of self and with a greater purpose, much like uh, the opening poet Swami Vivekananda, in my opinion. So Freeman, coming from the background he comes from, uh, has a knowledge in street gangs, has pretty much a presence with the street gangs, but he's turned his life around. And with his newfound position in the CIA, He's able to learn, he's able to sit back and watch and strategize and learn what the strategy is that he's going to need to defend himself against the same people he's working for, essentially. He leaves Chicago to take this position in the CIA for about four or five years. And after that, he plans on returning back to Chicago uh, to continue his social work and to work with street gangs. But this time when he goes back to Chicago, he's not only more militant 
but he's a much better thinker. He's able to lead his men in recruiting, in training, in warfare. He's 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 that. He's definitely that. And I'm I'm almost laughing right now when I think of the character in my mind because he was able to be a corporate savvy earning this job in the CIA, but he was also a fighter. He was also grimy. He was also a ladies man. He was everything in an action superhero. He was he was perfect word for it he was a black james bond in this book and if you read the book you know exactly what i mean when i say that definitely go check it out it's called the spook who sat by the door by samuel green i love how the author is able to give his own narrative of the things i'm sure he faced throughout his life but still made it an interesting fun story something that you could gravitate to and laugh at or be thrilled by how, how deep it gets, but still understand how it still can ring true for the readers of that time or readers still today. Me as a reader, I was able to understand what it is I would have to see in myself or change in myself in order for me to be a better leader, just from interacting with the pages of the story. So it's a really powerful book. Um, my excerpt are going to be pages uh, pages 23 through 27 in chapter 2. If you have the book, please pull it out so we can read it together. The instructor was a Korean named Sue, but Calhoun, his supervisor, was an American from North Carolina. The niggers would leave or Calhoun would break their necks. He broke no necks. But he did break one man's leg and dislocated another's shoulder. He was surprised and angered to find that Freeman had studied both judo and jujitsu and had a brown belt in the former and the blue stripe in the latter. He would throw Freeman with all the fury and strength he could muster. Each time Freeman took the fall expertly. He dismissed the rest of the class one day and asked Freeman to remain. Freeman? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think your people belong in our outfit. I don't have anything against the rest of the group. I just don't think they belong. But you, I don't like. Well, I guess that's just your hang up. I don't like your goddamn phony humility, and I don't like your style. This is a team for men, not for misplaced cotton pickers. I'm going to give you a chance. You just walk up to the head office and resign, and that will be it. Otherwise, we fight until you do. And you will not leave this room until I have whipped you, and you walk out of here, or crawl out of here, or are carried out of here, and resign. Do I make myself clear? Yes, Whitey, you make yourself clear. But you ain't running me nowhere. You're not man enough for that. Freeman felt the adrenaline beginning to course through his body, and he began to get that limp, drowsy feeling, his mouth turning dry. I can't back away from this one, he thought. Mr. Suwa Resseree, international judo rules. No chops, kicks, or hand blows. Falls and chokeholds only. After a fall, you get three minutes rest, 
and we fight again, and I keep throwing you, Freeman, until you walk out of this outfit for good. Mr. Sue? They bowed formally and circled one another, each reaching gingerly for handholds on the other's jacket. He had 15 pounds on Freeman and wore a black belt, but a black belt signifies only that the wearer had studied judo techniques enough to instruct others. The highest degree for actual combat is the brown belt that Freeman wore. Calhoun was not a natural athlete and had learned his technique through relentless and painstaking practice. His balance was not impressive and he compensated with the wide stance. Freeman figured his edge and speed all but nullified his weight disadvantage. He had studied Calhoun throughout the courses. He had watched him when he demonstrated throws and when he fought exhibition performances with Sue. Freeman was familiar with his technique and habits and knew that he favored two throws above all others, a hip throw and a shoulder throw, both right-handed. He came immediately to the attack. Freeman avoided him easily, filling him out, testing his strength. Calhoun was very strong in the shoulders and arms but as slow as Freeman had anticipated. He compensated by bullying his opponent and keeping him on the defensive. Calhoun tried a foot sweep to Freeman's left calf, a feint, then immediately swung full around for the right-hand hip throw. Freeman moved to his right to avoid the sweep, as the North Carolinian had wanted. Then, when Calhoun had swung into position for the hip throw, his back to Freeman, Freeman simply placed his hand on his on his back and before he could be pulled off balance and onto the fulcrum of Calhoun's hip, he pushed hard with his left hand, breaking contact. It had been a simple and effective defensive move, requiring speed and expert timing. They circled and regained their handholds on each other's jackets. After a few minutes of fighting, realizing that he was outsped, Calhoun began bullying Freeman in an effort to exhaust him. Sue signaled the end of the first five-minute period. They would take a three-minute rest. By now, Freeman knew his opponent. You'd be dangerous in the alley, thought Freeman, but you hung yourself up with judo, karate or jujitsu maybe, to slow me down with the chops and kicks. But there is just no way you can throw me in judo, white boy. He wondered whether to fight or to continue on the defense. He looked at Calhoun, squatting Japanese style on the other side of the mat, the hatred and contempt naked on his face. No, he thought, even if I blow my scene, I got to kick this Ofe's ass. When you grab me again, Whitey, y'all going to have handfuls of 168 pounds of pure black hell. He took slow, deep breaths and waited for the three minutes to end. Sue nodded to them. They strode to the center of the mat, bowed and reached for one another. Freeman changed from the standard judo stance with feet parallel, body squared away and facing the opponent, to a variation. Right foot and hand advanced, identical to a southpaw boxing stance. It is an attacker stance the entire right side being exposed to attack and counter from the opponent. Freeman relied on speed, aggressiveness, natural reflexes, and defensive ability to protect himself in the less defensive position. He wanted only one thing, to throw this white man. 
he moved immediately to the attack. Freeman tried a foot sweep, his right foot to Calhoun's left, followed up with the hip throw, Osatagare, then switched from right to left, turning his back completely to his opponent, whose rhythm he had timed, and threw him savagely with the right-handed hip throw. Calhoun lay there and looked at Freeman in surprise. He got up slowly to his feet, rearranging his judo jacket and retying his belt. Freeman did the same thing. Then, facing him, he bowed as in the tradition. Calhoun remained erect, staring at Freeman coldly. Freeman maintained the position of the bow, hands on thighs, torso lowered from the hip. Calhoun-san, you are judoka. You will return bow of Freeman-san. Hiss, Su. Reluctantly, Calhoun bowed. They returned to their places on the mat, squatting Japanese-style, waiting for the three minutes to end. Freeman wondered if he could keep from killing this white man. No, he thought. He's not worth it, and it would really blow the scene. But he does have an ass-kicking coming, and he can't handle it. This can't, can't believe a nigga can whip him. Well, he'll believe it when I'm through. Sue signaled them to the center of the mat. Freeman methodically chopped Calhoun down. He threw him with a right foot sweep, a left-handed leg throw, another hip throw, and finally a right-handed shoulder throw. Calhoun, exhausted by now, but refusing to quit, reacted too slowly and landed heavily on his right shoulder, dislocating it. Sue forced the shoulder back into the socket the contest was finished. Saying nothing, they bowed formally and Freeman walked slowly to the locker room. It was the end of the day, Friday, and he would have the weekend to recuperate. He would need it. Calhoun asked for an overseas assignment. Within three days, he left for leave at his family home in North Carolina, then disappeared into the Middle East. Freeman would have to be more careful there were holes in his mask. He would have to repair them. All right, that is going to be it for my excerpt from this book. I hope you enjoyed it. So, of course, it became one of my favorite chapters in the book because uh, Freeman was able to stand up for himself, defend himself, and really put a, a, an embarrassment on this guy. He beat him so bad, he left the entire country. <laughs> He'd rather go uh, fight in the Middle East somewhere than deal with the embarrassment of losing one fight to one black man. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Then on the other hand, you have Freeman almost losing himself in this chapter to his anger and to his rage because he knew he could put a hurting on this guy and he had such a disdain for him, he wanted to prove it. But sometimes that proving it that wanting to show that you're not gonna you're not gonna just lay down it it can be detrimental to the the bigger purpose to the bigger cause so say for example if freeman were to embarrass this guy how he did and this guy still was to resent freeman still have a hate to him he has a position he could use that position to to break freeman down or even investigate freeman and follow freeman and then it just goes somewhere else from there Luckily, in the book, that didn't happen. He embarrassed the guy, and he got the hell out of there. And and that's a, a 
a learning lesson. So I'm glad that Greenlee is able to revert back to the fact that he had holes in his mask. He wanted to beat this guy so bad that he was almost consumed by that. And it, it could have been a huge, a huge vulnerability. That's the word I'm looking for. He, uh, Freeman could have easily became vulnerable by just being angry and hating this guy and feeling that he has to prove himself so much. And as a leader, as someone who wants to lead and wants to control how people see his people, he has to be able to control his anger. So I'm glad that Greenlee, you know, reverts back to that point that you always have to be able to, to, to have your own sanity in these types of situations. That was important. So out of his entire class of uh, black trainees to become an agent in the CIA, Freeman is selected. There can only be one. They all uh, get chopped down slowly but surely during training, and Freeman is the last man standing. But after his training, he's giving a trivial position inside the office of the CIA instead of being released, quote unquote, into the field. The general who handpicks Freeman doesn't want to put other agents' lives at risk because of Freeman's mental deficiencies. They determine that he's only he's only uh, able to su to succeed athletically, so it's best not to put him in any type of any type of position where he can harm other agents, which is fucking crazy. But it's all right. Freeman is fine with it. He takes his position. I mean, it starts off very trivial, just being in the office, not really doing anything. But he meets the uh, the senator that proposed investigating the FBI. Excuse me, that proposed investigating the CIA for not having any black agents. He meets the senator again in the office, giving a tour. And him and the senator kind of hit it off. He plays his position extremely well with all of these white people. He's very well-spoken, very well-groomed, very good-looking, and people seem to, to, to take to him, especially the senator. So the senator goes back to the general and he, he raves about Freeman, and that essentially helps him get a fucking, uh, a, a better black token title, if you will. So he becomes the special assistant to the general, and he pretty much travels around wherever the general goes out of the country, different parts of the US he's able to get uh, briefings on like real-time matters and it trains him even more for his purpose he becomes even more of a leader because he's able to gain actual military experience if you will now the real bread and butter of this book comes from when Freeman decides to step away from his CIA role to return to return to social work in his hometown of Chicago he gets a lot of like surprised looks and pretty much disdain from the lower black workers for leaving this this easy given position where all you have to do is smile and kiss the babies they they they're in shock they're almost disgusted because how could you do such a thing but from the very beginning freeman knows his purpose and he's going to follow his purpose and Without saying too much about the rest of the book, it really picks up. It really gets entertaining. Um, depending on how you look at it historically, like I could see why a lot of people that aren't African American would shy away from this book. It doesn't necessarily paint paint any other uh, 
race in the best of lights, but that's not necessarily what it's for, so. You can definitely disregard that bullshit. First, uh, our character Dan infiltrates the CIA. Then he goes back to his hometown in Chicago and completely infiltrates a street gang called the Cobras and becomes the leader. I mean, he already has his ties, but he walks away from that life and he comes back to it, but they're not just going to accept him back in. He has to find his way back in, and he does that. And how he does that is actually really entertaining. Um, I wrote in my, in my uh, review of the book, he's a legend in two games like Pee Wee Kirkland, and he definitely is. Of course, the character is fictional, but to me, he pulls a lot of a lot of inspiration for my actual black revolutionaries, and I think that was the purpose for Sam Sam Greenlee's book. Um, definitely, let me know what you think of it. Comment on the Instagram. Comment on domain.com. Go check out my review. It'll be posted probably either later today or tomorrow, depending on when you listen. It'll be out. And definitely, again, go check out the movie, The Spook That Sat By The Door. It was one of the rare times where the writer of the book, the author of the book, actually wrote the screenplay for the movie and he co-directed the movie. So that doesn't happen a lot. Usually the book rights are sold off to some fucking movie production company and they do what they want to do. And that didn't happen in this situation. So for sure... Go watch uh, Sam Greenlee's vision actually come to life instead of just imagine it in your, imagining it in your head. Um, that's really dope for that to happen. Again, that's not too often, especially back then. So again, huge shout out to Sam Greenlee. Uh, the book comes from Allison and Busby in London. It was printed, or excuse me, it was published March 1969. It's 182 pages. You can literally finish this in a day, two days tops. Super easy read, really, really entertaining story. It's definitely going to make you want to get up and, 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 and change how you see things. So for music this week, I have a very talented artist by the name of Jay Soul from right here in Maryland. Um, this guy is an extremely talented vocalist. So what you're about to hear, you have to be ready for. It's really some grown and sexy shit, really fitting for today's festivities. So, yeah, I'm not even going to say too much. Um, our book of the week for next week, it's called Illogical by Emmanuel Acho. Huge fan of that guy. Definitely go get the book so we can be prepared for next week. Um, my review is going to be at the website, domain.com. Please let leave any comments, thoughts that you have about this book and our upcoming book on my website, domain.com, my Twitter at underscore domain or on the Composition Book Club Instagram page. Definitely would love to see you there. Um, you could win free books, man. So, yeah, definitely. If you know anybody, tell them to subscribe, and let's pass this knowledge around. Shout-out to Sam Greenlee for this book. Huge, huge, huge shout-out to Jay Soul. Um, we're going to have a show coming up sometime soon. It was rescheduled, and I'll let you know on my website and my Instagram about any further information with that coming up. But yeah, without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Jay Soul. Oh wait, hold on. There is further ado. Let me get you his Instagram. All right, it is I am Jay Soul. I A M J A Y S O U L. I am Jay Soul with two underscores on Instagram. Go follow him. Go check out his music and let him know what you think. 
and and actually to my knowledge this track is unreleased so this might be a composition book club exclusive so yeah thank you for being down with me you get to hear some new shit some unreleased shit and i hope you enjoy it here you go Fight the feeling when the vibe is right. You know it's there. I know you feel I it. know you feel it, feel it. It's in the air. Don't fight the feeling when the vibe is right. You know it's there. I know you feel I know you feel it, feel it. It's in the air. You can't run from me no more, baby. You can't hide I see you staring at me from over there It's like fire, baby I know you feel it Oh, the electricity is in the air Don't fight it, baby I know you need me Ooh, I can see it in your eyes Right. 